Hello and welcome to the Best Boys Podcast. I'm Best Boy Dan. I'm <laughs> Best Boy Justin. Who <laughs> just fart bombed himself <laughs> before we started. <laughs> I'm the only uh, podcast host who hotboxes himself. <laughs> um... And we are here to tell all you best buds about Jose anime this week. We Ooh. sure are. Although, to be entirely honest, our discussion is probably going to center mostly around manga because that's how most of the history is. But we'll get into it later. Yeah. Um, but up first, we have uh, some things to discuss. I watched the first episode of One Piece. I have some thoughts on it. Oh, I can't wait um, to hear I them. Also wa- <laughs> yeah, I also watched Sanic um, and have some thoughts on that, too. I'm sorry, Sanic? <laughs> yeah, Sonic. Sanic, same thing. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, we also have a whole bunch of news. We have dates for a bunch of fall shows, so that's coming up at you. And uh, some numbers with Dan. Uh, up first, uh, Best Boy Justin, have you watched One Piece live action yet? As of recording this, it just came out last night. <laughs> no, I haven't. I spent most of last night watching Jose anime and trying not to die. For separate reasons. Um, I also did that, but for the same reason. Oh, my. Um, yeah, I I watched uh, Jose manga with a uh, swinging axe pendulum over me just for, you know, just but, to feel alive. That's the only way I can climax anymore. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, we are off the rails. Yeah, no, but uh, last night, uh, Best Person Cat uh, and I watched the first episode of One Piece, um, which is over an hour. Um, oh, my. I started a little too late, uh, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was not bad. It's you. You have to, like, kind of give in to the style a little bit of it. Yeah. Right. Because One Piece is such a stylized manga no way really (laughs) right and like how do you make that into real people i'm Um, actually so curious to hear your thoughts on this because like you haven't watched the anime right or you've only watched like a little bit of it so so i have uh watched up through where the uh tv show is going the live action is going to be taking place where is, is that through the like f- the like fish people oh okay okay uh, cool all right i know where so that's like at. right after buggy i think okay that's okay that's more than i thought you had watched all right cool so what do you um so i have but i have also read up to the skypea arc okay so you've read up to where i am currently watching yeah, so, like, I've done all of, like, Baroque works and all that stuff. Okay, cool, gotcha. Um, Good frame of reference. Which all is right. interesting, because they're also, like, in the first episode, they're, like, heavily teasing Baroque works. Yeah, which is, yeah, that is interesting, because that is not a thing that happened in the anime. No, but uh, but I like I like it, um, yeah. because it, it's kind of, like, forward thinking with it. Yeah, um, it brings continuity. Yeah, like so, like the way you're introduced to like um, Zoro is like uh, Baroque Works is like trying to recruit him, and it's like, oh, okay, cool. Um, you know, so it, I think for people who have watched in other mediums, uh, 
it's worth checking out at least the first episode um i'm sure we'll have much more to say about it on a later date especially once best boy justin has watched some of it uh, i mean but it's eight episodes so and they're I don't about have an hour n- each so i don't have nothing to say about it uh the, <laughs> I, I i i am familiar with the casting i have seen the casting for it um i love the casting for usopp i am neutral on the casting for interesting Zorro. best person cat didn't love uh Usopp oh really well did she watch the show uh we haven't met Usopp yet oh okay um but I am neutral on the casting for Luffy and for Zoro and I don't like the casting for Nami um um I'm TBD on Nami um Zoro's pretty good um and I actually really like Luffy um I, I he isn't the same, but I think he embodies the spirit pretty well. I think overall the casting is probably the best they could have done to emulate Oda Sensei's ridiculous like the way yeah. he draws people, which is like <laughs> not how people yeah, are. So, some of it is is a little weird, like. They do some of the hair things and it doesn't translate so well. Mm. Um, the CG just like kind of expect like Fantastic Four movie levels of CG, I think is a pretty apt comparison since okay. there's a stretchy character in that too. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, at least after the first episode, I will say it's one of the better Netflix adaptations I've seen. See, so this this makes I, me I'm nervous because. That was our exact opinion after the first episode of Cowboy Bebop. Oh, no. <laughs> You're right. So, like, it could get so much worse. We'll um, see. We shall see. <laughs> um, I also want to talk about two movies uh, that I saw. Uh, well, technically three movies that I saw that were not anime. But were just kind of like I watched and have been on my mind. I watched the Sonic movies one and two. Oh. Um, which are, have you seen them, Best Boy Justin? My only exposure to the Sonic movies is that those couple of episodes of Jury Duty that we watched that mentioned the person who was in it. Oh, yeah. um, so that's part no, of what made me uh, want to watch it. Okay. Uh, they're really enjoyable. All right. I liked Sonic <laughs> like, as a kid. It was the only game I played on the Game Gear. I I think, you know, if you have played Sonic before, like the kind of like easter eggs with it are nice like you know uh you know the first movie like they you know they allude to like tails being in the second movie which is not spoiler since the second movie's out now mm. um but like you know they they and even in the second movie they allude to like another beloved character from the franchise like coming in and so it, i guess it's like it, my my main Just question is well do done. they do they do an easter egg involving the PSA segments from the original Sonic animation cartoon? Do you remember uh, those? No, they don't do that. Oh, um, but like in the opening uh like part where they're doing like the studio, they replace the stars around the Paramount with uh the Sonic rings. Boo, that's not fun. It's it's pretty fun. Um, I want to hear. Hey, the, kids! <laughs> if someone comes up to you that you don't know, that's not cool. GI Joe. <laughs> oh my god! All right. Anyway, continue. 
Um, the other movie I wanted to talk about was The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. This is one I've been uh, meaning to watch for a long time. So this is the one where the Pedro Pascal meme comes from. Yep. Uh, about Nick Cage. It's it's so much better than I expected it to be. I feel like Nick Cage is having like a renaissance where he has yeah. like he 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 came around to the other side of the circle of being ridiculous to where he's so ridiculous now he's good again. And I like yeah. that for him. Yeah, and this is just this is a, a solid uh movie. I it basically just turns into like a buddy comedy slash action with Nick Cage and uh Pedro Pascal, and I just I love them together. <laughs> I mean, if they it's, ever made like a, a movie about our podcast, that's who I would want to star in our in our movie. Yeah, yeah. I think um I think Pedro Pascal could play me pretty well. Yeah, and Nick Cage could capture my manic energy <laughs> and, and yeah. the illegality of my constant actions. Um so yeah, I, I would recommend all three of those movies if, if anyone wants a uh uh, break um and then to round out my section i was going to talk about miss kobayashi because i read the manga and the whole I was going to talk about i well just one volume okay. of it but about how the art style is different and how toru is more overt but best boy justin check your phone i don't like this <laughs> it's not bad <laughs> Is that a plant? Look at these weird plants I got today. <laughs> Is that a chubby cactus? I mean, I don't mean to don't... fat shame your plants, but that's a fat cactus. Which one? The first one. The, the second one, one just looks like an alien fungus. Okay. So uh, one of them is the goldfish plant, and that's the one who you're calling a chubby cactus. <laughs> um, and it's... it. They're just, they're so bizarre looking. I like had to get them. And the alien one, I have no idea what that's called, but I've never seen anything like it. This is bad on an audio medium. Um, but I, yeah. I feel like I'll, they should talk. I'll post it. <laughs> I'll post it to the Instagram or something. There you go. Okay. Um, well, I'm glad you enjoyed yeah. your fat cactus and your weird fungus. Um, yeah. That's a weird way to say that. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess I'll banter for a little bit if, uh, you know, if that's a thing that we do on this show. Um, Turns and out the, it is. Oh, shit. Uh, the first thing that I wanted to talk about was that. So, OK, so I am a busy adult person and that sucks. And I don't I don't like that for me. But what I do like is that anime nightlife is becoming a thing. So. Oh. Yeah, so I have been advertised to online via the algorithm um, a number of like anime focused nightlife things where there's like 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 drinking draws based on anime and like hey we're gonna meet up and we're gonna have an anime hangout and cosplay bars and stuff like that and the, the oh. recent one yeah the recent one that really that was advertised to me that i was like oh i wish i could go to this but i have to work um there is actually tonight there is an anime rave um oh. with like a cosplay contest and I, it looks really fun. Like, I really thought about, like, oh, if I had sick days, 
uh, I would call out to go to this tonight. Um, unfortunately, I do not have sick days and I have to go work tomorrow. But um, I'm really happy Wait, that you like, can't rave and then go work. I mean, I have to do I have to work 11 hours tomorrow starting at like <clears throat> 11 a.m. Nobody, nobody wants to work anymore. Exactly. Um, but like, what, but what it did make me happy, ha- happy to see was that um, the, um, the the anime is becoming. People in the world are understanding that anime is a thing that adults enjoy, um, as well as you know, it's not just relegated to the world of children. Um, because I had been to it, I, you know, full disclosure in my youth, relative youth, um, I used to go to a lot of raves. I loved going to raves. It was like the thing that me and my friends did. Um, and I had been to raves with a number of themes. I had been to Halloween raves. I'd been to like these multi-level raves where like each, each floor is a different, like, setting uh, i've been to raves in illegal warehouses but i had never been to an anime rave and they just they didn't exist back then or if they did they were never popular um but to see the well, i what? i think it's it's a product of like our generation coming of age too right like the yeah. people who are uh, you know, I, I, I was telling you about this, like, one sushi restaurant I went to that was, like, clearly, like, run and, like, driven by millennials just with the vibe and, like, kind of how it operated. Um, and, and you're kind of seeing that as, you know, like, clubs are coming into, you know, the hands of, you know, people who grew up watching Toonami and things like that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, so I mean, I, that's super cool. It is really cool. I guess, you know, my, my my message is if there is an anime rave near you, go to it. Um, and my biggest takeaway from all work. of this is that you're getting all of these like things targeted at you for like anime nightlife things. And I'm just glad that I'm not getting any of it because they know that I have no intention of going out past 7 PM. <laughs> I think they're, they're confused because they see me out of my house past 7 PM and they just don't realize that that's only because I'm working. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I don't know. I'm a mystery to the algorithm, but this, this particular time they managed to get it right. Um, <laughs> But anyway, moving on, I wanted to, speaking of work, talk briefly about, uh, it's a topic that kind of came about during a conversation between myself and a coworker, and because I have this platform, that means I now get to talk about it, um, instead of just, like, complaining about it to a friend or two. Um, You all get to listen about it. No, it's not even really a complaint, it's more of, like, um, just a, a... a thing I wanted to talk about. And I was with a, a person that I'm working with and we were talking about anime and, you know, Japan and stuff. And he said like, oh man, I really wish I could, I really wish I could live in Japan or like, I really wish I was born in Japan. And like, I caught myself, I was thinking and I'm like, and I asked him, I was like, have you ever been to Japan before? And he's like, no. And I said like, you know, so like, what is your experience with what Japan living in Japan is like? What is it like? And he basically did long story short, his frame of reference and a lot of people's frame of reference for what it what living in Japan is like 
or even what Japan itself is like is kind of it's colored through anime. Right. And that's not a bad thing um, inherently. But I think it's something that we need to be aware of because the the Japan in anime does not exist. Right. Even if you have an anime that is is based in reality and, you know, is not like a fantastical like giant robots and stuff like Japan being depicted in anime is always a fictional depiction of a Japan that never existed, but is based on a Japan that was like two generations ago. Right. I don't know. Did did that make sense to you? Yeah, it's it's it's. Nick Cage portraying himself in the unbearable weight of okay, massive sure, talent. perfect, good callback. <laughs> um, no, because like you know, one of the it, things that I was I was drawn to to because I lived in Japan for two years, right? And the Japan that I lived in, and it's actually I probably lived in Japan at the perfect time in my life because it was the time in my life that I was the least interested in anime. Um, I don't think I consumed or thought about anime for even one minute during the two years that I lived in Japan. And I'm I'm actually grateful for that because it doesn't color my perception of Japan. Um, and I think even even the Japan that I lived in and I experienced no longer exists. Um, and it, when it is depicted in anime... It is kind of depicted in the anime, the era of anime that has just passed. It's gone now because anime itself, it always because of the way anime is made, it's it's developed from manga most of the time. And there's or a time novels. lapse or light novels. And there's a time lapse between when those are written and when the anime is made. It's always kind of like a half a generation back. Right. So, like, yeah, you remember the era of anime where there was like. Flip phones were were prominent, but smartphones I, were just <laughs> becoming a thing. I was right? just going to say that, like, we're now like now just getting to the point where phones and anime are kind of like the monolithic slab yeah. that they are today. But but just now, even though it's been pretty popular for like five or six years now yeah you you literally just got to the heart of what i'm actually talking about and that is that like (laughs) you can kind of in this particular era in anime can be defined by phones right so when i was living in japan smartphones were the phone right not smartphones uh flip phones were the phone Okay, so that was the new phone. Everybody wanted to have a flip phone. That was the thing you had if you were cool. If you and smartphones were just starting to become a thing. I think the iPhone when I was like a year into living in Japan, the iPhone was just announced and like hadn't come out yet. I don't know if that timeline is correct, but in my mind, that's what it feels like. I could be wrong. I don't know. I'm not going to fact check this because I don't care. It's not important. What's important is that era in anime didn't happen until after I had left Japan, right? So the the anime that was being made while this flip phone revolution was happening um, was still in the air in the the era of like the house phone and the like you know the 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 cordless the cordless phone was the probably the newest um, the big hip thing, right? Um, you you could have your house phone and you could walk all around with it. That's exciting, right? Um, but all of this to say that, you know, 
when you think of Japan, and I'm not saying that I'm not saying that you're bad or wrong or weird for having anime be Except your only you are bad or wrong or weird. Yes, you are. No, 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 no. For, for having anime as your only frame of reference for what Japan is is not a bad thing. And in fact, it is a very common thing in the West because most people haven't been to Japan. It's a hard place to get to. I don't know if you know this, but there's like a I 14 mean, hour we, time difference. It takes forever if, to get there. If we're being honest, like my only frame of reference is uh, anime and Anthony Bourdain videos. And those are both fine. And I, the thing <laughs> I want people to understand is that the, the Japan that exists in your anime and Anthony Bourdain brains it is a an approximation of a Japan that doesn't even exist anymore. Like you don't have that doesn't like the, the like the way that people interact with each other and the way the world works is is depicted in a way that is based on something that doesn't even exist anymore. So like when you think of like, oh, I really want to go to Japan because you hear this a lot. People go to Japan after being obsessed with anime and manga for a long part of their lives and they're like disappointed or shocked or they have culture. Like they get like culture vertigo almost. And I guess this is my little bit of like letting you know, like, hey, if you're planning to go to Japan or if you ever go to Japan in the future, maybe keep this in mind that it's an entirely different culture now, even than the anime that is being made now based on Japan, because that anime is lagging by it like a half a generation. Um, I mean, to to expand that out further, I, I think an important lesson uh, is whenever you are traveling do not go in there with your preconceived notions do research if you are going on a trip overseas like, I don't know. understand some... the cultures the customs like what like you should if you are going to a different country you should do a little bit of research so you know how to operate there there are some places you should go to <clears throat> with your preconceived notions like north korea um, <laughs> your preconceived notion of that you will be arrested and tortured you should probably you should go there with that in mind um that's fair <laughs> the, 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 the reputations that some places have are earned like don't go on vacation in afghanistan that's a bad idea but um if you you shouldn't let your you shouldn't let your preconceptions be entirely based on popular media i think is my my takeaway from this um, Unless you live in Japan and you watch anime, because all if, American representations in anime are one hundred percent accurate. But also, like if you live in Japan and you listen to our podcast, send me an email because I want to get you on the show because I need to know like all the things that we fuck up because we're not perfect. I haven't lived in Japan in let's see how what year is it twenty twenty three. You're I perfect, but I'm mistake. not. I haven't lived in Japan in like thirteen years. Um, so like, I'm definitely getting a bunch of stuff wrong when I talk about Japanese culture, but I'd speak from my personal experience. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm get, get at me, but anyway, I think this has gone on too long. Basically, I just, I just wanted to kind of expand on that conversation that I had with my coworker, um, and kind of, uh, I don't know, talk about it. Cause this is my platform anyway. Um, 
the last thing that I want to talk about is technically like a, a an announcement, but it's more of along the lines of like it's an announcement that we missed somehow. Um, but there is a four episode uh, Tonikawa OVA that is out as of like July 12th. Um, <laughs> we're, re- we're recording this on September 1st. Um, somehow we missed this. Sorry. Um <laughs> But it is, uh, there is a four-episode OVA out. It is available on Crunchyroll. You can watch it, and you should. Um, it is kind of based around a, a somewhat interesting story plot in the manga. It's actually, like, the l- second-to-last arc before I stopped reading the manga. I didn't stop reading it because it was bad. I just stopped reading it because, like, I, I kind of fell out of touch with it and, and haven't had a time to pick it up back up. Um, but the synopsis is that this new OVA centers on the series protagonist, Nasa, who is asked by his junior high teacher to hold a class in an all-girls high school. The students end up seeking Nasa's advice about their love problems. On the other hand, Sukasa pretends to be cool, but is actually nervous knowing that Nasa is surrounded by young high school girls. Um, young is a relative term, too, because Nasa is also high school aged, um, but he just didn't go to high school because he's too smart. Um but, like, I think this arc is actually really fun, and I'm glad they animated it. I'm just so confused about how we missed it. Yeah, well, we'll have to go back and watch it now. I'm excited. Yeah, no, I, mean, I am too. I might watch it tonight before I go to bed. Um, but do you know what else I'm going to watch tonight before I go to... That doesn't work. Let's check in with Studio WEB for some anime news! <laughs> That's right, Best Buds. We have more anime news than you can toss into your salad. Um, I, no. I picked up salad ingredients from the farmer's market. It's actually a more benevolent top of mind thought than usual. But up first, Analytics. I want to talk about something else benevolent um, and pretty exciting. The Twitter accounts for the Zombie Land Saga anime and Zom 100 Bucket List of the Dead anime revealed that the sixth episode of Zom 100 Bucket List of the Dead featured cameos from the cast members of the in anime idol group Fran Chuchu from Zombie Land Saga. Uh, Kaide Hondo, Asami Tano, Risa Taneda, Maki. Kawase, Rika Kina Kinugawa, Minami Tanaka. Oh, I didn't do too bad there. <laughs> you did awful, uh, but I'll let you believe that. <laughs> the voice actresses all voice zombie roles in the latest episode. I love that. I think it's a, an awesome little Easter egg. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. I, I'm not caught up on Zom 100 because like, I knew that it was behind by a couple days and then I just never picked it back up. But when I saw this, I got really excited. Yeah, I, that's just like fun. That's, that's synergy. That's synergy I like. Absolutely. <laughs> I love a good Easter egg like that. There's no reason not to. Um, this next news got me hyped the official twitter account for haikyuu uh anime franchise revealed that the first film in the two-part haikyuu final sequel film project titled haikyuu the movie decisive battle at the garbage dump will uh the film will depict the fated showdown between karasuno high and nakoma high um i 
I feel like we talked about this not too long ago about how we were missing out on Haikyuu and wanted it to come back. We um, did, but we didn't have a title yet. And I got to say, Decisive Battle at the Garbage Dump is actually the title of my sex film. Um, so we're going to have some <laughs> copyright issues there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm super excited about it. I didn't realize it's only going to be two more movies and then the story's all wrapped up. So Yeah, it's all done. I, I'm a kind of interested to see how they're going to wrap it up in these movies. Um, but I can't wait for this to come out. I really want to watch it. Yeah, it's going to be really dope. Um, but yeah, uh, with that out of the way, I think it's time to get into a, a little bit of numbers with Dan. Numbers with Dan. So yeah, uh, I also didn't know a whole lot about this next uh, topic, but there there's a reason for it. Uh, how Miyazaki's latest film, uh, The Boy and the Heron, uh, has sold over 4.95 million tickets and earned about 7.41 billion yen, or around 50 uh, million dollars. Uh, the film sold uh, about a million tickets and earned $13 million in its first three days in Japan. G-Kids has licensed the film and will release it in North American theaters later this year. Um, I knew that a How Miyazaki movie was coming out. I didn't realize that it had come out in Japan and that it was coming out later this year in America because that's exciting. Um, in fact, uh, this year at the New York Film Festival, the screen uh, will uh, premiere as an a f official selection in the spotlight selection. Uh, the 61st annual New York Film Festival will take place between September 29th and October 15th. Uh, the film will also premiere in the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, it will mark the first time that the festival uh, is opening with an animated film, as well as the first time for a Japanese film. So uh, that's pretty big news. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, which is me included until I found this article, uh, the story takes place during World War II after Mahito loses his mother during the fire bombings of Tokyo. Sorry. He and his father. <laughs> yeah. We did that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, he and his father moved to the countryside. There, Mahito's father gets remarried to his late mother's pregnant sister. Uh oh. As Mahito, yeah. <laughs> as Mahito struggles rough. with the situation, he encounters a talking heron and enters another world based on the promise that he can meet his mother again. Wow, there are um, a lot of. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on there. That, that story turns a lot. <laughs> um miyazaki is credited with the original work uh in addition to directing and writing the film um which is huge he hasn't done uh a movie in a very long time yeah um takeshi honda uh from uh ponyo uh and the rebuild of the evangelion films is the uh director joe 
Hisaishi uh, from Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, and My Neighbor Totoro uh, is composing the music. And Studio Ghibli co-founder Toshio Suzuki is the producer. Um, Kenshi Yonazua from Chainsaw Man, My Hero Academia, and March Comes in Like a Lion, which is a hell of a combination, um, performs the theme song uh, Chick Yugi or Globe. Uh, studio Ghibli producer Suzuki revealed uh, in June that the film would not have any trailers prior to its release. The film also did not have any TV spots or newspaper ads prior to the movie's release. The studio has not revealed a plot summary, a voice cast, or uh, most of the film's staff. Uh, which, which is honestly is, probably why we haven't heard about it. Yeah, uh, so... Uh, that explains why we knew almost nothing about it. It also blows my mind that with that, it still has done $50 million in sales. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs> like, it's just, oh, hey, Miyazaki came out of retirement and made a new movie. And people are like, oh, hell yeah, let's go see a movie. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we don't even know anything about it. We're just going to go see it. It's it's just that's wild to me, um, and I I guarantee you it's going to do numbers all over the world once it releases. So we'll keep an eye on it. We'll let you know. Absolutely, um, we'll let you know after our exclusive invite to the New York Film Festival comes through. Uh, we're uh, still waiting you know on what? that. It's I don't know if you got our address say. wrong or. Uh, I've actually been before. It's not too terribly hard to get tickets. No, I mean, like, they have to ask us to come, though. Cause <laughs> oh, yes, yes. We're professionals. Um, I, I do imagine, though, that uh, how Miyazaki film at the film festival is going to be pretty popular. So I'm sure, yeah. Um, that one might be difficult. Um, the first Slam Dunk, which actually, I think, just wrapped up its um, theater run. Mm-hmm. Um which I, this is a total side tangent, but they did like a whole event. They called it like the like first slam dunk last game or something. And they have like a bunch of events and it did like crazy numbers on its last day in theaters, too. Um, but just interesting how this movie continues to surprise. Uh, but the uh, new an- slam dunk, the first slam dunk, the new anime film of Takehiko Inui's uh, slam dunk basketball manga has sold 10.74 million tickets for 15.53 billion yen or $106 million as of August 27th, its 268th day in Japan. Uh, the film is now the 13th highest earning film of all time in Japan, surpassing uh, how Miyazaki's tw- uh, 2008 film Ponyo, uh, which has de- uh, which has debuted at around $105 uh, million. Uh, the first slam dunk is also the seventh highest earning anime film in Japan. So it that's where we're going to leave that one uh, and uh, did pretty well there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I still really want to see it. Um, so once it is available on streaming, we were both busy when it was in theaters here because I, I wanted to try to see it, but just couldn't make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we'll check it out once it's on streaming. 
And then to wrap up uh, numbers with Dan, uh, I want to talk about another uh, set of numbers that we've discussed before, and that is according to Oricon's weekly uh, streaming ranking chart, Idol, Yao Sabi's opening theme song for the television anime Oshinoko, has been streamed over 400 million times. This song was streamed almost 17 million times in the past week alone. Um and it came out in like April. That's wild. <laughs> um, yeah, the song uh, has also ranked on the chart for nineteen, uh, number one on the chart for nineteen consecutive weeks. That's uh, wild. Which makes it the third longest duration at number one on the chart, behind official Hige Dandism's Pretender, uh, which made it for thirty-four weeks, which is bonkers um that song slaps though and i'm Mion's marigold which stayed uh number one for 20 weeks so uh maybe it'll beat that one um also i want to check that song out now um the song is also the fastest to exceed uh 400 million streams the next fastest is official hige dandism subtitle uh which took 32 weeks to achieve the same feat Similarly, the song holds the record for the fastest uh, song to exceed more than 100 million, uh, which only took five weeks, 200 million, which took nine weeks, and 300 million, which took 13 weeks. Uh, this will be Yasubi's fourth overall song to exceed over 400 million streams. Um, this makes Yasubi only the second uh, to official Hige Dandism in overall number of songs to exceed 400 million, um, which official Hige Dandism has five of. Um, and I like this story because I like Yasubi and official Hige Dandism. There you go. It's got everything you like. Um, and yeah, they're both great bands and people should check them out. Um, even if not all of the lyrics are in English, like... Pretender by Official Hige Dandism, easy song to recommend to like anyone. It slaps. Absolutely. But you know what else slaps or is going to slap? Probably. Um, maybe. Who knows? Our announcements. Uh, stuff that's coming out soon, which we're excited for. Um, and heading off the top of that list, uh, coming out on September 29th, uh, is Freerun Beyond Journey's End. Um, yes, which I'm so excited for. Uh, every every single promotional video I've seen for this looks absolutely phenomenal, um, and I, I really can't wait for it. I, I you know every time I read a new volume of this manga, it just it's gets even better. Um, but that's not it for September. No, no, no. Uh, the uh, we also have Firefighter Daigo of Company D. Uh, coming out on the 30th. This is pretty exciting. It's like a firefighting drama type anime. Um, so like your your real life counterpart to Fire Force. I don't know. Maybe um, I was going to say, do they do they fight the church with fire? I, I think they actually fight the fire with water. Um, uh. I know that sounds less exciting, but maybe we'll still like it. Um, and also, I think you meant to say they fight the fire with church. Um, uh, well, okay, so first they fight the fire with church, and then they fight the church with fire. Yes. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, October, uh, Kizunu no I anime is getting its second season uh, October 4th, which still surprises me. Uh, Girlfriend, Girlfriend uh, is coming out on October 6th, which I am very excited about. Um 
Kingdom of the Ruin is also airing that same day. Uh, and I Shall Survive Using Potions uh, will be premiering on October 7th. Well, that all sounds very exciting. Also coming to us in October, we have Undead Unluck, which I know you are particularly excited for. I can't wait. That's going to be like just a, a dope shonen for everyone to enjoy. Yeah, October 7th for that one. Uh, October 12th, we've got Dr. Stone New Worlds uh, anime second part uh, coming out, which I'm excited for. I still need to finish the first part. I, yeah, um, I, I fell behind too. because of my life. Um but speaking of things about my life, uh, Record of Ragnarok uh, Part 2 is coming out on October 20th. I've actually never seen this show. I don't intend to watch it. But if you're into it, you should watch it. Or maybe you should. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but finally, October 7th, we have Far Away Paladin Season 2, which I am actually really excited for. I was really kind of enraptured by the first season of this show, and I'm glad it got a second season. Yeah, and then looking ahead to 2024, uh, Yurisei Yatsura is uh, premiering its second half in January. Uh, additionally, <laughs> I'm also premiering my second half in January. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> the full moon was last night, best boy, Justin. <laughs> um, Crunchyroll will stream A Sign of Affection, High Card Season 2, and others in 2024. Yeah, a sign of affection. That's the one that I told you about with the the. It's like a seinen um, about the deaf girl and her like oh, boyfriend yeah. who learns sign language. I hope it's better than uh, what was the. Oh, a silent the, voice. It's, yeah, it's it is better than a silent voice. I will give you that for sure. I can tell you. I didn't much like um, a silent voice. I thought that guy was a dick. I liked the manga because it did a better job of like actually making him work for forgiveness than the anime did. Um, yeah. But the anime was it cut out a lot of the most important parts of the story. Um, yeah. So you should read the manga is what I'm saying. Um but you know what else you should read the manga for, Best Boy Dan? What's that? March comes in like a lion because the 17th... Oh, I have the first volume. <laughs> the, well, the 17th volume of Chika Umino's March Comes In Like a Lion uh, revealed on Tuesday that the manga is headed to its final stretch. Um, oh, God, he's going to kill himself. Oh, God. <laughs> Umino <laughs> commented that she will try to give her best for the final stretch and asked readers to watch over her. Um, the Shogi romance manga launched in Hakusensha's Young Animal Magazine. Also, that is the best name for a magazine. Also, uh, I'm sorry, the Shogi the romance? That's what it says. It, it, it is defined as a Shogi romance manga. Um, Interesting. Would not have classified it as that. Well, that is what they classify it as. Also, y Young Animal Magazine is only the second best name for an anime magazine. We'll get to the best one later. Um, but it was launched in 2007. Um, the vo first volume of it came out in February 2008. Um, and it is actually licensed in English by Denpa LLC. Um and the first volume came out in English in June, second volume to be released in November. Um, 
But the story follows Rei Kiriyama, who is a child prodigy uh, and also an orphan who lives alone in an empty apartment. Rei Kiriyama is 18, working in an adult's world. Life is complicated for Rei. He's an up-and-coming shogi player on the verge of turning pro, but he has no home life or much of a life period outside his board game. But thankfully, with the help of some lifelong friends, he has an opportunity to start all over again. Uh, the manga has won the Manga Taisho Kodansha Manga Awards, Best Shoujo uh, Manga Award, which is interesting because I wouldn't have called it a shoujo manga, but I guess that is what they class it as. Um, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I would not have. I, it would have been I, like, I don't know what else I would call it. Like, it's definitely not like a shonen. Um, I guess maybe if I were pressed before learning, before reading about this to say what it was, I would say it's probably like a seinen. Uh, but I guess they call it a shoujo. Um, huh. Yeah, but it won that award. It also won the Tezuka Osamu Cultural Prize's Grand Prize, uh, as well as the Grand Prize of the Manga Division for the 24th Japan Media Arts Festival in 2021. Um the manga inspired two 22-episode anime seasons in 2016 and 2017, both released by Aniplex of America. Um, and they're also, you might be interested to know, inspired two live-action films, uh, the first Ooh. of which in March 2017 and the second in April 2017. Um, so, yeah, I guess, Best Boy Dan, you've got a lot of work to do catching up on this one for the manga uh, but hopefully maybe you know now that the manga is finishing they might put out another season of the anime to kind of uh, you know I drum up some some curiosity about it right like i don't know uh, maybe i love that show so much i do too it's really good anyway um in other news about manga because i, I guess this is manga news day um the Manga Archive organization announced its founding on Monday, formally founded on the on May the 1st. The uh, organization aims to preserve and share manga creators' original artwork and related materials, including published materials such as magazines and book volumes. Taku Oishi, the curator of the Yokote Masuda uh, Manga Museum, will be the organization's board representative. Major publishing companies in Japan, as well as an initiative from Japan's Agency for Cultural Affairs, invested in the new organization, and the Manga Archive organization intends to collaborate with publishers, manga creative circles and organizations, manga industry organizations, and universities engaged in manga research and scholarship to gather materials. Uh, the organization intends to convene a panel of experts to determine which materials to gather for the archive. Um, the archival organization is slated to begin its main activities in September, and the official website is planned to open in the same month, um, which I think is kind of cool, you know, because we, we, we are reaching the point where manga, the, the origins of manga are beginning to become, you know, somewhat difficult to, um, what's the word? Somewhat difficult to, to, to experience the very earliest of manga, right? Um, oh, yeah. And I think, you know, this is a good a time as any, it's a good a time as any after now, but not as good as any time before now um, to, to get this kind of initiative started. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, no, definitely. Especially when you see what is happening in like the video game space, for instance, where a lot of uh, things have not been properly archived and are just kind of like lost to the sands of time, like entire games um, that people can never like play or see again. And, you know, with 
uh, a lot of the things that they're talking about. You know, you think about all of these works of art that people like draw and put on Twitter and whatnot. And like, these are, you know, for an archival purpose would be nice to have collected somewhere for posterity, for the history, for the future. Absolutely. Um, but do you know what you can archive in posterity for the future? Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at bestboys underscore pod. Actually, you can't do it on Twitter anymore because I don't pay attention to it. Um, but you can also say you can also send us an email at the bestboyspod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, tell your friends about us. You know, word of mouth is the best way to get uh, information about our podcast out there. And we do appreciate it. Uh, and rate and review us five stars. Absolutely annihilate that like button or whatever it is they say these days. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, with all Sit that. Sit on the uh, like button. Sit yeah. on it. Sit on its face. Anyway, um, speaking of things you can sit on the face of, it's time for us to dive right on into the meat and potatoes of this week's episode. <laughs> you like that? I'm just thinking of sitting on meat and potatoes. <laughs> That's how I intend to end my evening tonight. Oh. Mm-hmm. That. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, best boy, Dan. So as we talked about so, so long ago, this week's episode is all about Jose. Um, so before we dive into it, and I just kind of want to. Yes, exactly. You, you've pegged, you've, you've, you've got it. Is, I was going to say is you, that reference too old for the kids. Do, I was do gonna, the kids know what Josie and the Pussycats are? I don't know. I was going to say you've pegged it, but then I didn't because pegging means something different now and everything's weird. <laughs> uh, all the kids are pegging nowadays. All the kids are pegging now. Anyway, um, what do you know about Jose? What is your, your experience with it? Do you, do you, let's hear it. What do you, what do you got? Uh, Okay, so I know, because I host an anime podcast, that there are, like, four demographics, commonly, there are more, but, like, commonly, there are four demographics of Japanese media, shonen, uh, which is young boys, shoujo, which is young Don't girls. go too much into that, we're gonna talk about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, anyway, so Jose is uh, adult women um in terms of things that i've watched i i can't i have to imagine that i have watched a jose you more absolutely than once. have uh, yeah um i can't think of any off the top of my head other than nana which i have been watching for this show and i will talk about later um but uh yeah i mean i i I suppose I don't actually know anything factually about it, just referentially from, like, what I can extrapolate from, like, you know, what, <laughs> you know, I've experienced with shoujo and, and mm -hmm. seinen and, and figure what the, you know, adult female type shows look like. But Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I will give you two anime that I think that you have watched that are Jose or are believed to be Jose. One of them definitely is. That's Wodakoi. You've seen Wodakoi, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Wodakoi. Wodakoi is absolutely a Jose. Now, the totally other one sense. that there is some argument as to whether it is or is not, and I don't know the answer to it because I'm a hack and a fraud, uh, Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. 
Very Ooh. well could be a Jose. Okay. Um, I, I lean towards it is, but there are, you know, arguments for it being a seinen instead. And I think that's perfectly valid as well. Uh, yeah, um, it could also be a shonen. It could be a shonen. I think the setting of it makes it less likely. I think the setting of the show makes it more likely to be either a seinen or a jose. That's and the true. Fe- the realities the of their relationship of the make it more likely to be a Jose, but we'll get more into that. Um, but yeah, so today we're talking about Jose anime. Um, really, we're talking more about Jose manga because that's how, where the history is, but we'll get to that. Um, as you so very astutely mentioned, uh, Jose is one of the four major demographic categories in anime and manga. The other three are Shonen, which we've done an episode on in the past. Go ahead and listen to it. It was good. Um, and also shoujo and seinen. Um, and also in doing research on these categories, I've actually come to learn that there are a couple other less common ones, um, but maybe we'll cover that another time. We're not going to talk about it today. Um, Do you know, like, maybe not even necessarily the name of them, but like what demographics the targets are in some of those so other ones? One that I will give you that I came across a couple times during research for this episode is that there is a genre in between shoujo and jose. Um, One that is specifically for younger teens, but not children and not adult women. Oh, so like Um, tween, like CW. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't remember the name Uh, of it, but it does exist. Um, um, But I also saw there was uh, one for like just children, too, I think. There is. um, And I don't remember the name for that one either because I'm a hack and a fraud. But it it does (laughs) exist and it is it is less relevant for what we generally talk about. Yeah, Um, because that's that's more like Ponyo is, is a good example of that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, or like kind of, um, you know, ba- it's basically, no, definitely not Shin-Chan. <laughs> Have you watched Shin-Chan? No, I thought it was a kid's show. Is it not? <laughs> no, it is absolutely not a kid's show. <laughs> God, best one, Dan. <laughs> I need, okay, after this, I need you to watch an episode of Shin-Chan. <laughs> Okay, this whole time I thought it was a good show. That's the funniest thing you've ever said. Great, I can't wait to watch it. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. Um, I fucking forgot where we were. That was so good. (laughs) Okay. All right, so... We've talked about these categories in the podcast before, um, but I just want to give a very brief rundown of them for anyone who may have missed it or is forgetting or I don't know, whatever. Um, First off, we have Shonen, which is marketed towards teen boys. um, And we have its counterpart, Shoujo, which is marketed towards, you know, teen girls. Um, And then moving on from there, we have Seinen, which is the market for that is like older teenage boys into adult men. Um, so we're thinking probably like the 17, 18, up until like the mid 20s or whatever. Um, <laughs> the age you first appreciate your first Tarantino film. <laughs> exactly, yes. If you can if you can understand and appreciate a Tarantino film, Quentin Tarantino is a sane and artist. I rest my case. Um, and then finally, we have our topic for today, Jose, which is targeted towards adult women and to a somewhat lesser extent, older teen women um not as much as seinen um and we're gonna so tell you all about older women now yeah as, so <laughs> as, as two men 
Yeah, so that's the episode. You're right, we just explained it. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, not really. Um, we're actually going to dive a little bit deeper into what Jose actually is and uh, some of the history behind it, okay? Um, so first, let's talk a little bit about the word Jose because it actually has a somewhat interesting background. Um, the literal translation of the word Jose is a noun that literally means woman or lady. Um, it is constructed using the kanji for Jo, which means woman or female, and say, which means gender or sex. Not sex like intercourse, but like the, the, the you know, sexual like gender. expression. Like gender, yeah. Binaries and whatever, but yeah. Um, and uh, that, that's pretty exciting, um, but it's actually not. But that's not what the interesting part of it is. What's interesting is that the use of the term Jose to refer to this demographic category actually only dates back to the late 90s um, when it was adopted by media critics and academics. And the term is actually not commonly used by Japanese audiences. Um, it's really only popular with Western audiences for the most part. But it gets even weirder than that. Um the term that is commonly used in Japan, at least for manga targeted uh, at the adult female demographic, is actually ladies a komiksu, um, which is abbreviated as ready comic. Oh, so what is there's a word for that? Like uh, there I mean, is, there is. Do you remember it? Don't look at the script. Do you remember it? Ah, damn it! I just looked at the script. Oh, you mother... Okay, yes, this type of term is called a wase-ego, which means Japanese-made English. That. No, you wouldn't have. Um, we've talked about it on the podcast before, which is why you remember it. Uh, but essentially, it's when an English loan word just becomes a part of the Japanese language. Um, this also happens pretty commonly with German and Portuguese words, among others. Uh, but that's a topic for another day, especially the oh, reason God. why German is so common <laughs> in Japanese, which we're not going to talk about. <laughs> Um, but for those of you keeping score at home, the popular term for this category in Japan is the English name. And the, in the West, it's the Japanese name, which is another example of weebs trying too hard to be more Japanese than Japan. Um, <laughs> but for the for the for the purposes of this episode, that's, that's not how you do Japan. Let me tell you how yes. to do Japan. <laughs> Exactly. But for the purposes of this show, I am going to, for the most part, stick with the term Jose just because it's what I am familiar with, um, except when the term ladies comic actually becomes relevant and that's when you'll know. Um, but now that we've got all of the word stuff out of the way, let's take a, a moment to talk about the history of Jose. Um in order to fully understand where Jose comes from, we need to talk about a concept called Gekiga. Um, Gekiga. Ge close, but not quite. Um, Gekiga, which is the literal translation of which means dramatic pictures, uh, was a movement in the mid to late 50s to develop manga with a more cinematic art style and mature themes uh, marketed to an adult audience. So this is kind of like a, a, an outgrowing of, um, you know, the results of children who grew up reading manga becoming adults and wanting something that is marketed to them as adults 
Right. So, um, so, so that makes sense timeline wise when you think about it, because I have to imagine that print manga wasn't really a thing until, you know, like thirties or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and then timeline wise, yeah, like as they, it, it's just like us as they come of age. You know, they're like, hey, we want to see the stuff that we have been interested in since we were kids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because uh, prior to this point, most mainstream anime was designed for and targeted to children. Um, but newly minted mangaka like Yoshihiro Tatsumi and Masahiko Matsumoto uh, kind of wanted to buck this tradition and tell more mature stories and evolve the art style um, to be more detailed and more expressive. Right. Um, they they kind of wanted to, to add a more cinematic quality to manga, because, again, the, you know, we're talking about the 50s. Um, this is a period of time in, in which, um, you know, post World War Two, uh, the cinema is becoming a big deal. Hollywood movies, you know, it, it, it's all kind of a confluence having this this um, this effect on the development of manga. Right. Um, so they, they took this movement so seriously that they actually didn't even like to refer to their work as manga, uh, because the word manga actually translates to whimsical pictures, right? So they would instead explore terms like gekiga, which we just talked about, uh, but also other words like komaga, katsudoga, and katsuga, a lot of which have to do with like, so anything with katsu, um, that has to do with the word cinema or film, Every time you um, so, say katsu, I get a little more hungry. I know, dude, I'm starving. I should have ate. I should have eaten before we started. But, you know, I didn't because I'm I make bad decisions. Um, but none of those words stuck. Right. We still call it all manga. And that that's kind of how it, it ended up. But the the their movement did stick. There were a lot more manga that were developed for an adult audience for with more mature themes. Um, the art style changed radically. Um so like you go from from, you know, manga that are drawn like cartoons that you would be familiar with, like in any kind of newspaper or anything like that to an art style that and this is the best example I could think of it for you in particular, Best Boy Dan, the art style of like Hajime no Ippo, right? It's got okay. heavy shading. <laughs> um, the characters are very expressive. Um, Legends can, of the Galactic Heroes, Fist exactly. of the North Star, like exactly, that kind of yes. like heavy shading. Um, oh, what's the one that had the horrible adaptations? Um, uh, oh, God. Berserk. Um, Berserk, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. I, I think f for reference for, like, the time before, a good example would be, like, Astro Boy, Speed Racer. Yes. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, exactly. Those are very uh, good examples. Uh, Dororo. That the one I don't know one. so much about. But, well, um, that's, that's uh, Tezuma, or, like, one of the, like, original, like, mangaka people. Okay, yeah. So basically, you have this uh, this part of the revolution, the Gekiga revolution sticks, right? So you get these very detailed, um, heavy shading, lots of good line work, whereas you used to have things like Astro Boy, like cartoons, they're very round, 
they're comforting, they're, you know, silly. Um, it's it's funny you say, right? It's it's very, like, bubbly soft versus, like, these is. very hard edges. It is. It absolutely is. And that, that is kind of the revolution that we have, um, which is known as Gekiga, right? Um, now, we could easily do an entire episode on Gekiga, and we might someday because... I, I'm really the, interested in it now. I think we might have to. <laughs> like, the, the most important, the most interesting thing that I came up with in my research for this episode, because I have already been... You know, I didn't talk about it earlier because I forgot that I wanted to, but I'm going to talk about it now. My experience with Jose, it is actually one of my favorite types of manga. I read Jose probably more often than most other man uh, manga oh, demographics. I guess I've probably because, read a fair amount of Jose now that I think about it. Well, you know, because like most other men my age, I am on the outside a 33-year-old American man. But on the inside, I am actually a 25-year-old Japanese woman. Um, so I read a lot of Jose. And um, I already knew a lot about it before I came into this episode. But the, the main, the most important thing that I uncovered in my research for this episode was this whole idea of Gekiga. Um, and I, so I really do think we'll probably end up doing an episode about it in the future, but I want to do more research on it. Um, but, um, for, for the background of the history of Jose, this is about as deep as we need to go for Gekiga. So we have a grounding in it, right? Um, by 1968, Gekiga was in full swing, uh, and the woman's magazine, Jose 7, um, and keep in mind, Jose in this context does not refer to the demographic category um, that we're talking about today because that term had not been coined yet. This Jose just means the word women, um, published the first Gekiga manga that was aimed at a female audience, which was titled Mashuko Banka by Miyako Maki. Maki was a shoujo manga artist who made her debut in the late 1950s, and she pivoted to Gekiga as her original audience aged into adulthood, right? Like we were talking about how a lot of the Gekiga uh, manga artists were doing a similar thing, right? Um, so the um, shortly afterwards... The two, mag two magazines, which could be considered the earliest Jose publications, were founded. Funny by Mushi Production and Papillon by Futabasha. Um, unfortunately, neither was commercially viable and both folded after just a few issues. But despite the initial commercial failure of Jose publications, um, the concept had an influence on the development of shoujo manga during this time period. Um... The influence is most apparent in the work of the Year 24 group of shoujo mangaka, who began creating manga that were more psychologically complex uh, and incorporated topics like politics and sexuality. Um, the magazine Petite Flower was founded in 1980, uh, featuring the adult-focused works of Year 24 group members Moto Hagio and Keiko Takamiya, uh, widening the readership of shoujo to include teenagers and young adult women, where previously shoujo manga was pretty much just um, targeted towards young girls, right? It was not really, it didn't really get into uh, the teenage demographic of, of girls and women. Um, also, I don't know, this seems like a good place in any to talk about it, but like th this whole, the whole the whole concept of Jose 
and marketing demographics and shoujo and seinen and you know so on and so forth this is all very heavily steeped in the gender binary right um and there's no way to avoid it there just isn't because the way that japanese society is structured both then and now it is very heavily steeped in the gender binary so when i talk about like women girls female male men and women like i'm not i'm not saying anything i'm not saying anything one way or the other about the gender binary i think the gender binary is bullshit but given that we are speaking specifically about this we have to kind of view it from the lens of the gender binary because that is the framework that it exists within yeah, um, i mean the the purpose of this episode is is not a commentary on the gender binary but a realistic look on how things are marketed in japan yeah exactly and i'm not going to be a cultural relativist i'm not going to say whether this is right or wrong within japanese (laughs) culture i am just the united states is is not winning any awards for gender equality and marketing (laughs) exactly yeah exactly so I, i i am just presenting it the way that it exists within you know the japanese culture not even culture just the japanese commercial environment i don't know i'm just trying to say this exists within the gender binary i think the gender binary is bullshit but i'm talking about it within the framework that exists okay um where the hell was i um (laughs) oh right okay so we're, we're talking about how um you know shoujo originally included only young girls but is now being expanded um to include teenagers and young adult women now around this time which if you lost track which i don't blame you because i'm a hack and a fraud and i bounce back and forth um this was around 1980 um publishers began to view this group of readers uh this group of older shoujo um fans as a distinct demographic worth marketing to marketing to uh, otherwise known as exploiting, um, and began oh, cre- <laughs> AKA the same time they got the ability to get their own credit cards. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but they, uh, they began creating dedicated magazines for it, right? A couple notable ones were be love by Kodansha, um, you by Shueisha, which is actually still in publication and is one of the number one Jose, um, magazines out there. And then my personal favorite, Big Comic for Lady by Shogu Shogakukan. Um, <laughs> Best Boy Dad, who do I got to talk to to get a Big Comic for Lady t-shirt? Because I want one. Uh, um, I don't know, but we got to find... It's got to be online somewhere. Right? That is the best name. Big <laughs> Comic for Lady. Uh, anyway, if you're a lady, I got a Big Comic for you. Um... With the release of these magazines, the terms ladies' comics or ladies' comics, uh, which is the last time I'm going to say it like that, but that's actually how it's said in Japanese, um, began to come into popular usage, but so did a stigma associated with these works. Um, Jose manga had fewer restrictions on the depictions of sexual acts than shoujo did, and as a result of this, combined with the rapid proliferation of Jose magazines in the mid to late 80s, um, it began to develop a reputation as female pornography, quote-unquote. 
Um, this is, of course, sexist nonsense, um, as Jose had no less graphic depictions of sexuality than similar works targeted at young adult males. Um, but the label stuck as a kind of stigma until around the, the end of the 1990s. Uh, and around this time, Jose Manga began Listen, to be high school okay, DXD is art. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I figured you were going to say something about that. <laughs> that um, is art. That is art. And seeing a male butt is pornography. Clearly. Um, but around the end of the 1990s, uh, Jose Manga began to be more readily identified by its commentary on social issues. Uh, and relationship dynamics than with Lord's sexual content. And to be clear, it's not that Jose suddenly became less graphically sexual. It didn't change at all. Um, Jose Manga had been dealing with issues like politics and questions about women's role in society since its inception, since the idea of marketing manga at adult women. Um, it's just that critics stopped emphasizing its sexuality to a more extreme degree than its other characteristics. Um, so it's not like anything about the media changed. It's just that the way we talked about it changed. Um, I mean, but then it's around, not, it's not too dissimilar to like anime in general too. Like I remember like growing up, people were just like anime. That's like the tentacle stuff, right? Yes. But also this is more specifically steeped in the yes, patriarchy and sexism. And sexism. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of it's interesting because this is kind of like the same thing when we talk about any kind of media that's marketed towards women. Um, the, 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 the example that I always think of when I think of this topic is Harlequin romance novels. Right. Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about when I say that. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. And Harlequin romance novels. For those of you who don't know, they're like these kind of paperback pulp um Pulp Fiction, not the Quentin Tarantino movie, um, novels that are that heavily feature sex and, you know, yeah. th like women's desire from a female standpoint. Um, and they get this kind of they get this reputation of being uh, not 50 literary. Shades of gray, basically, exactly. Fifty Shades of Grey is probably the most common, like the, the most like apparent example but it, it it has become so famous that it is it is not associated with this other type of <laughs> if stuff you've but it's ever is the been same in thing. a used bookstore you've seen a million covers of like the man like in the window with the like flowing white like t-shirt buttoned down all the way and like the woman in the bed like <gasps> gasping as he's like walking or in <laughs> Or some like a man wearing some sort of uniform, but it is buttoned. It is unbuttoned to where you can see that he has a six pack. Yeah. Um, but no, but like it's funny because six, Fifty Shades of Grey doesn't get associated with this for some reason, but it, it is the same thing. It's just that Fifty Shades of Grey was so successful that they have to acknowledge it. Was it was more commercially viable. Exactly. But but Harlequin romance novels are no less literary than anything else that is written, especially like when you consider anything written for the male gaze is incredibly, you know, sexually charged. Um, but for some reason, it's considered more literary than a Harlequin romance novel. And I think that's bullshit. Um, 
But anyway, that's my little rant about, you know, Harlequin romance. I'll go read one, by the way. They're great. OK, <laughs> um, they're hilarious. <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to say they're not funny. They are funny, but that doesn't make it any less literary than anything written for men. Um, well, so uh, what I kind of wanted to say about this and, and you can stop me if I'm getting too far down a rabbit hole we're going to talk about later um, is uh, I think the one thing that frustrates me in kind of doing this dive into Jose or a category that is not specifically marketed towards me as a cisgendered male, um, which is how narrow uh, historically kind of women's content has been uh, portrayed. And it's, it's really, it's like, it's romance or, or sex or, you know, uh, things like that. It, it's not as broad spectrum as male entertainment, I would say, at least historically. I think it has changed uh, as it's gone on, but but I think a lot of this demographic is like at least publicly been conceived of as only a you know stories about relationships, for instance, or you know sex or things like that. Yes, but also it's interesting that you mention that because this is a it, this is a, one of the earlier examples of a modern day. You know, obviously books have been written for women for as long as books have been written. But when we talk specifically about anime and manga, this is content that is directed at women. And it has always been more complex than it has been given um, given credit for. So it has always had to do with politics and complex questions about psychology and and society and economics and stuff. But the way it has been perceived in mainstream consciousness has always been, oh, it's women it's books for women about sex and it's books for women about, yeah. you know, romance. And the, the idea that women's books are about romance, I think, is bullshit because at its core, Media that is made for men is also about romance. The only difference oh, yeah. is the male conception of romance is just sex. So, like, if you break it oh, well, down, like it's a also James Bond. A James Bond novel is a romance novel without, with spying. <laughs> yeah, you also can't like love without shooting a few things first, right? Exactly. Like, like I, I can't be vulnerable unless I shoot a few things first. Exactly. So like you have these, you have James Bond novels by Ian Fleming and they are essentially romance novels, but you can't just talk about romance as a man because then you feel less masculine. So you have to kind of drape it in this, um, you know, this, this coding of violence and statecraft um, that is, that, that gives it a legitimacy as a um, as a form of media um, where essentially it's not any different, really, um, from from Jose or from, you know, even in the West, any kind of uh, media that is marketed towards women. Um, but it is just culturally perceived that way. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that that is that is kind of the the dynamic that we're talking about. And we're going to talk a little bit more about it when we talk about the themes of Jose. 
Um, but yes, you, you definitely hit the nail on the head there. Um, but going back to the history, um, we are at now the uh, the two thousands, uh, early two thousands is when Jose manga began being regularly adapted into anime, um, which is, you know, it's kind of its entry point into the mainstream because you know, anime had been you know being made since as early as you know film was a thing in Japan, but not really necessarily in this context. Um, so this is where it's kind of evolution into the anime uh, world happens. And that is where we'll leave the history portion of this story for now. I mean, that that makes sense, too, right? When you just think technologically what's going on, because before that, you're really looking at a time predominantly dominated by like three channels. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, so you're not going to see, you know, things Tar, you know, targeted towards women at that time. It's going to be more broadly adapted or towards who the people think are the pre predominant money spenders or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but and then I mean, with the advent is... of cable, you have more niche platforms for people. Yeah. And this is an important time period in manga and anime, too, because this is where the end of the so-called like dark age of manga um, which begins around the early 90s um, and begin and comes to an end again around this the early 2000s. Um, this is where we are beginning to have stories. Anime and manga begins to become more prevalent and have a like a, a more synergistic relationship um, around this time period. Um, we we haven't really talked about the dark age of manga too much on this show. It, it's a, it's a topic for another day, um, but this is when we come out of it, and when we come out of it, we begin to have more stories marketed not just towards adult women, but also towards adults in general. Um, uh, but okay, so uh, now that we know about the history of Jose, uh, let's talk some uh, talk about some of the common themes. Um, inherent to this demographic category. Um, I, I've been excited for this because, so for the best buds who don't know, in preparation uh, for this episode, whenever we do something like this, we usually watch something that is a, like, representation of that genre. Um, and so, like, I watch Nana. And so, like, I have a lot of thoughts and opinions on it and i'm curious to see how many of them are specific to the jose manga uh brand itself i actually have some news for you about nana that? that i've been waiting <gasps> no until Is we it... finish this because I, I only came across it when we were doing the research do you for think this it's show? a shoujo so Nana is there is argument about whether or not it is considered a Jose. Um, some people consider it to be a shoujo and other people consider it to be a shonen. Um, a shonen. Interesting. So it is not even though it, it is at the top of all of the like recommendation like the top 10 lists of jose anime but there is controversy regarding whether or not it is actually a jose um fair enough i having watched it i'm gonna go with it's a jose 
Okay, that's fair. I'm glad, like, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it is not. I'm just saying it is not as cut and dry a yeah. representation of I, Jose that I can, we had thought it was going in. I can see the arguments. We'll discuss later when I talk about it. Yeah. Um, but for now, let's talk about some of the common themes in Jose. Common settings for Jose stories include the workplace, university, city nightlife, and other mundane locations that are commonly associated with adult life. Um, you will not <laughs> the see the bus stop. The bus stop, yeah. You won't see very many Jose anime that are set in high school. Um, you won't see very many that are set, you know, in, in, in places that are common for shoujo and, and shonen anime, right? Um, it's just not, it's not common. Um, it, it's not impossible. It does, you do have some that are set in the latter years of high school, but it, it just isn't very common. Um, March comes in like a lion. Exactly. Yes. Oh, uh, you also have historical settings, which are which are fairly common. Um, you end up with a lot of like. So an example of this would be Raven of the Inner Palace. Um, you get a lot of like romance uh, stories that my, are put in a historical setting. My happy marriage. My happy marriage. Yes, is is a, a pseudo historical setting that that is a Jose show, of course. Um, some of the three major themes that are regularly explored in Jose stories are drama, romance, and sexuality. Um, so drama is usually presented as a depiction of common struggles that are faced by women in contemporary society um, and are often, and it often explores topics like dating, child care, elder care, beauty standards, workplace issues, marital strife, or adultery. Um one of the things I found in my own personal experience is that Jose stories are some of the few that actually spend time exploring the topic of divorce in depth. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Whereas most other manga and anime tend to use it as like an amorphous plot point for character background. So it's like my parents are divorced and it makes me like this. Um, Question. Where, yes. Is my divorce crybaby neighbor a Jose? I don't think that one actually does not fit neatly into any demographic category. And the reason why is because it is not published by a major publisher. It is a it is originally a web like a web manga um, and oh, that's web, a good point. Web manga tend to defy these kinds of um, these kinds of categorization because they are not necessarily marketed in the same way that a commercially produced and uh, published manga would be. Um, but overall, I would say My Divorce Crybaby Neighbor is probably more of a seinen. But again, like I said, it does not fit neatly into any particular category. Um, but uh, speaking of divorce, romance, right? It's the inevitable... Uh, I associate um, the two. Or, I certainly do. Um because of who I am as a person. But uh, while Jose dramas tend to stick to realistic depictions of daily life, even if they may be told through a fantastic lens, an example of this is a Jose manga that I'm reading right now, which is about like a, a party of female heroes that are angry about the sexism in their world. And it is a parable for the sexism involved in contemporary society, blah, blah, blah. Um, Jose romance tends to lean hard into the melodramatic soap opera 
esque storytelling akin to what you might find in a Harlequin romance novel, right? So it, it's not it, while you do have plenty of dramas that involve romance whenever you have a a jose that is specifically a romance jose it tends to fall more into this melodramatic um category as opposed to a realistic depiction of what a relationship is like right there are notable exceptions um you've got shows like wotakoi you do have rom-coms in um in Jose, and there are a fair amount of them. The one that I watched for this week's episode is certainly a rom-com. Um, but overall, uh, and it, okay, so it's interesting because when you when you look at the manga that are adapted into anime, they tend to be the, the rom-coms, right? But when we're looking at manga, when we're looking at the whole of all media that is produced within the sphere of Jose, um, they are not off there. The, the predominant romance stories that are told are like these romantic dramas, um, these soap opera type stories, not necessarily a rom romantic comedy. Um, but because of what's popular and what sells rom-coms tend to be adapted into anime more frequently. Um, but, uh, you know, personally, I tend to prefer a blend of the Jose drama and Jose romance, um, but the pure Jose romance tends towards stories with like a Prince Charming type love interest with whom the heroine goes on adventures and overcomes adversity with and then eventually marries. So an example of this story would be like Raven of the Inner Palace, right? So you have this kind of mysterious female heroine. Um, she kind of goes through the these uh, experiences with the new the new emperor um, and they kind of be build a relationship while going through all of these, like overcoming all these obstacles, right? Um, that is the most common type of, of Jose romance. But by all means, it is not the, um, the only type of romance that you get with a Jose story. Uh, some more nuanced romance stories in Jose manga and anime tend to revolve around a woman who is experiencing romance for the first time as an adult uh, and learning to develop herself as a romantic and sexual being. Um, this is where we kind of come into play with some stuff like, um, you know, Miss um, Kobayashi's Dragon Maid kind of sort of fits into this mold a little bit. Um you know, because you have Kobayashi, who has never really has never really existed in a romantic sense, uh, had had like a romantic life. Um, and then you, you that that's a common type of uh, character for these types of stories. Um, you also have gay and transgender characters uh, being far more common in these stories uh, than those told in other demographic categories, though they are usually relegated to like a side romance or a side plot. Um, but they do they do exist more frequently in Jose stories than they do in other stories. Um, and uh, speaking of plots, sex. Um, it's I'm time listening. You're listening. You're, I have your attention. Um, <laughs> it's time to clutch your pearls, best buds, because you will be shocked, absolutely floored to learn that stories that are marketed to adult women tend to involve some fucking. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, I know. It is absolutely shocking and galling, to be entirely honest. At least honest. it's not hand-holding. I know, right? Um, 
But, you know, in reality, it's, it's kind of ridiculous that I even have to mention this. But, yeah, there's sex in in Jose stories, right? Media targeted to adults often includes sex because, as we learned in Marketing 101, sex sells, right? Um Jose doesn't feature sex any more often or more prominently than its adult male counterpart, Sanin. Um, but for some reason, it got a reputation for being riddled with smut, right? Um, well, you see, it's they don't they don't shoot guns before they shoot their load. Exactly. And, and, and that's the issue. You got to have the balance of the guns uh, and and the sex. Yeah. And they clearly get that wrong. Um, but like I've got news for you, best buds. Ever since the human beings learned how to draw, we've been making porn. Um, it shouldn't be suddenly scandalous when it's directed towards women, um, but it is because of the society we live in. Um, but some sexual themes that are common in Jose stories uh, include female domination, uh, sex in the workplace is very common, uh, and the so-called reverse harem. Um, which is wait, wait, just wait, a harem, like, but all the members are men instead of women. Like sex with people who you work with or like actual sex in the workplace. What's the difference? Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Um, I forgot. Best boy Justin actually uh, lives at his job. He doesn't have a home. I, I don't um, No, but like it, it is common. Both are common and it's common for both to happen. Uh, a, a very, oh a very common kind of trope in Jose sexual stories are like the the story of the pent up coworker. Right? You work together, you work really hard, you work long hours, and like you just gotta let off steam by fucking. You know. Um, <laughs> also, I'm saying the word fuck more than I used to. Is, is that working? Like, how do we feel about that? Uh, just to annoy, <laughs> uh, best bud, Mike. Yeah. 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 Fuck him. Anyway, um, <laughs> I have exceeded the amount of the word fuck that we are allowed to have a PG 13 rating now. Uh, anyway, but yeah, that, that is a common, you know, kind of workplace sex story that we get in Jose. Um, you also get a lot of like, you get some age gap stuff with Jose. So like you have, a younger woman by that, I mean like age, like, okay. So one that I'm reading right now, the woman is 23 and the man is like 51. Um, and he is like her boss. It's not like, okay. So you get like senpai kohai things in a lot of seinen, um, romance, but with Jose, it's not that it is boss and subordinate. So like you have the oh. older, and it goes in both ways, too. So, like, you either have the older male boss and the younger, but still an adult. Certainly um, no issues. Subordinate. Still. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Don't even get. We're not even going to talk about the 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 issue, the, 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 the myriad ways in which this is problematic. I'm just giving you an example of what is t like what kinds of stories you can expect. Right. Um but the two different types of age gap you have, what, like the, what tags to Google? <laughs> exactly. But you you have the older male boss and the younger female subordinate, or the opposite. So like you have the main character being a woman falling in love with a charming younger subordinate and navigating that type of relationship, right? Um, 
And, you know, those are those are the kind of stories you can expect. So another good example of a Jose story is it, it is an age gap story, but not a workplace romance would be something like Sesame Salt and uh, Pudding, where you have an older character at a, a you have an, the older man and the younger woman. They do not work together, but work is a common theme in the story, um, as is romance and sexuality. Right. Um, so these are these are the kind of stories that you get with a Jose um, manga and anime. And that is kind of why that is, you know, getting to the heart of why I um, enjoy Jose is just because you have such a you have such varied potential for telling different types of stories that you don't necessarily have with other with other, you know, demographic categories. Um and I, I, I enjoy those, you know, the, the kind of I enjoy a story that's off the beaten path. Right. I don't I don't want to read the same rom-com that I've read 500 times. Um, I want to read a rom-com about like a, an older salary man falling in love with a young woman who just wants to be a heavy machine operator. Um, <laughs> uh, don't we all? I, I, I think that brings up a really good point in that, like. You know, there are definitely things that I gravitate towards, like, you know, I'm I'm going to watch Undead Unluck and, you know, it is the five millionth shonen I've seen. Right. Uh, the I don't go out of my way to seek Jose. And what I kind of realized in, in watching Nana is because it's a different type of story uh, a lot of times that it, in some respects requires a different kind of attention yeah. to it. And, it, you know, sitting and one of the things I love about doing the podcast is it forces me to sit down and ingest stories that I know are good, but have put off because I haven't been in the mood to watch or something. And, you know, for me, it, it's never mattered if it's a horror, if it was targeted towards women, if it's a comedy, if it's, you know, a, a kid's, you know, show, an animation, live action, book, TV, whatever. It's it's always been about a good story. And so just, just not experiencing something because of who it's targeted towards, you're missing out on so much. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's probably a good way for us to segue into talking about the shows that we watched for this episode. Uh, we could go on about sexuality in <laughs> Jose forever, especially the reverse harem. Uh, but we'll leave that discussion for the next episode of Best Boys After Dark, which is actually yeah. a misnomer because we're recording this right now and it's starting to get dark. But whatever. <laughs> um, um, so Best Boy Dan, you watched Nana. <laughs> I did. Tell me about it. Tell me about Nana. I, I so. Na, 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 na. <laughs> na, na, na. Um, okay, I'm done. We don't have the rights for that. So, so Nana has been on my peripheral forever. I have picked up the manga in like Kinokuniya so many times mm -hmm. and like been like, oh, am I going to read this? And like just haven't. I, I have always known that it has been regarded as like one of the pinnacles of. Jose. Um, so I, I've been curious about it. Um, it is for background, uh, written by Ayazawa. It was published by Shueisha, and the original run was May 26, 2000 to May 26, 2009. 
It's a long um, run. The anime. Uh, yeah, the anime uh, is available exclusively on High Dive uh, and comes to us from Studio Madhouse. Um, also, the dub is pretty good of it, um, okay. surprisingly. Um, the It was directed by Morio Asaka, who after graduating uh, Osaka's uh, Designers College, he entered Madhouse, uh, where he made his chief directorial debut in 1993 with the OVA Pops. Uh, his noted works include Cardcaptor Sakura, which was his television anime series debut, Chobits, Gunslinger Girl, Nana, Chiahaya Furu, My Love Story with Yamada-kun at level 999, and just My Regular Love Story. Or My Love Story. <laughs> um, so you're saying your love story at level one, basically. Yeah, basically. Uh, okay. um, <laughs> in 1999, he won the Theatrical Film Award in the Animation Kobe Awards. Um, Kobe? The screenwriter was <laughs> Tomoko Konparu, uh, music by Tomoki Hasegawa. Uh, and it runs for about 47 episodes with three recaps, which you can skip. Um, and it ran straight for a, basically about a year from April 2006 to March 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, for those not in the know, which was actually me before I started this, I knew it had something to do with music. Um, but the basic uh, premise is listed as uh, departing from their respective hometowns, two young women with identical names are brought together in pursuit of new beginnings. With their hearts set on going to Tokyo, Nana Kumatsu dreams of blissful love, while Nana Osaki, uh, Osaki uh, aims for a successful music career. The former has a cheerful, friendly nature, but her naivety has also steered her romantic life astray until she meets her dependable boyfriend, Shoji Endo. Without letting herself be dismayed by Shoji's decision to study in Tokyo, Nana works hard to earn enough money to follow him there. Meanwhile, her namesake is a solitary punk vocalist whose impassioned romance with her band's bassist, Ren Honjo, comes to a sudden end. Though heartbroken, Nana bravely looks forward and travels to the capital with the ambition of becoming a recognized artist. Shortly after they arrive in Tokyo, the girls cross paths again due to an unexpected coincidence that ultimately leads them to live under the same roof. As they grow closer, the two strive to support one another amid their struggles to forge a future for themselves. Can I just say that my... If you are... If you yourself are a, uh, a a solitary punk vocalist named Nana Komatsu, uh, I'm waiting for you. I'm in love with you. So <laughs> let's let's do uh, this. Yeah. Oh, you would you'd probably be all over um, Nana Komatsu or Nana uh, Ozaki. Ba- based show. on based on the the limited amount that I know about this show, I think you're right about that. Um. But yeah, it so it's really interesting because at first when I started watching the show, I was like, how is this a Jose? Uh, this feels like a shoujo. Because uh, it felt very CW drama-y, right? Like, um, shoji is like... You know, it's just, it's very clearly a 20-year-old's relationship. And and that's where I think the show really succeeds. 
is as I continued watching it, what I realized was that it was a, a very like kind of immature relationship because the characters were immature. It's the first time they're living on their own. They're trying to make it like they, you know, part of the beginning is watching them apply for their first apartment in the city together. And they, Oof. you know, don't know that they need to call to get the electricity turned on and things like that. And you you watch these people make horrible decisions that, you know, as, uh, you know, a seasoned adult, you would be like, why the hell are you doing that? But as a 20-year-old, you're like, oh, absolutely, I'm going to do that. I, I'm going to live forever. Um, and, and, and I think it, it does that well. At the same time, it is... It is. It's very dramatic. It's a drama-filled romance story. I, to me, uh, I, I was watching the show, and it, it the perfect description came to my mind. And it's like someone wrote a primetime drama for ABC in two thousand and eight about a fanfic of the bands Paramore and New Year's Day, uh, and then animated it like Fruits Basket. Best boy, Dan. I don't know if you understand how hard you just dated yourself. <laughs> like a solid I, I don't you know, I don't keep track of our demographics because I think it's all junk science anyway, but like I'm gonna go ahead and guess a solid 70% of our audience has no fucking idea what you just said. So uh, to elaborate, Paramore. No, you got to go back farther. Are. You got to go back farther. ABC. Okay, so ABC we, was a television channel. <laughs> we used to stream TV over what's called a, a cable box, right? It was like a box that lived on top of our TV. <laughs> we'll do a whole um, episode on it. 2008 was a time when um, we elected Barack Obama. Um, is you Trump might recognize that states. name from your from your history books. Um, but yeah, so it, uh, I the main issue I have with the show is like it it fails the Bechtel test so hard. Like the women in the show have almost no agency. Outside of the men. And to clarify, I am 27 out of 47 episodes into it. Uh, I'm going to talk about why I'm going to continue watching and, and what I'm excited about with the show. But the one thing that does really bother me is that the women are treated like objects in the show. And and part of that is just is what makes it good because the relationships feel real as fucked up as they are like there's one relationship where the man is very clearly using the woman in it and like what? is no is abusive to her and and she recognizes it but also falls for it and it's one you've had a friend in your life who you've watched do that where they, and if you don't, you're the friend decision. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, so that's really real. It's, it's just kind of hard to watch sometimes. Cause before you because move on, that. 
Before yeah. you move on, I just want to say I actually had a part in the, the show written about this, but I actually left it out because I saw that you put this in. It's interesting that you say that it, it has, you know, women are treated as property and it fails the Bechtel test about this show. And I think that is a good time for us to just talk very briefly about the way the self-selection bias in the in the way that shows are made works, right? So, like, when we are talking about Jose, right, and any kind of demographic, we are not talking about what marketing, like, content that is directed at adult women as decided by adult women, right? We are talking about content that is directed that is marketed to adult women based on what old men think women want, right? Yeah, exactly. And of course, it is it it become it it gets tempered a little bit by, you know, ratings and like it's not like they're entirely blind to what women want to see, but it is designed it not not necessarily designed by men, right? Because a lot of the people, a lot of the mangaka who write these stories are women. But what gets famous, what gets made, what has production dollars put into it is decided by men, right? So mm. there is this self-selection bias that it is the decision is being made by men. So, of course, it's going to be, you know, to a certain degree, not necessarily reflective of a woman's experience, right? Um yeah. But yeah, so like when it fail when you say it fails the Bechtel test, like that is absolutely not a surprise, especially not for this time period. Like these days, oh, yeah. maybe you know there is more of a, a woman's input in in what gets made into an anime, not to any significant degree. Of course, it is still a very male dominated industry because we live in a male dominated world. But um, you know, back in two thousand and what was this two thousand and seven? That is, you know, prime, prime time for society saying, oh, this is what a woman likes. Right. You know, women, women, yeah. they, 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 they like to, they like <laughs> to talk listen, about men and every, they don't have orgasms. And listen, that is every time in history. <laughs> Let's be real. That's <laughs> true. That is, um, that is going to be the title of my book about, about women, the portrayal of women in anime. Women like to talk about men and they don't have orgasms. <laughs> uh, a story yeah, about and, a story about women Shapiro. written by a man. <clears throat> um, to get back to Nana, though, <laughs> the other thing I want to point out is the art style. And, and what I have noticed between animation targeted towards women and men. And it's it's so funny how distinct it is women and this is very generalization speaking but like women's animation tends to feature very lanky characters yes it does um whereas men's animation tends to feature very uh muscular or you know fleshy characters so think about it like this so men in men's anime tend to look like ipo Right. They don't have necks. They have ridiculous bodies, whereas men in women's anime tend to look like swans. Yes, exactly. 
There is there is a, there are entire articles written about the necks of men in shoujo anime. And when we do our shoujo episode, we are going to talk about the shoujo neck. It doesn't feature super oh heavily God. in Jose because it, it's interesting in, in Jose anime as opposed to shoujo anime. Shoujo anime tends to depict men as being very princely. They are very, you know, uh, otherworldly beauties. Whereas men in Jose tend to be conventionally attractive, normal men. Um, because I guess that's what women want, right? It's not what well, when you're yeah. when you're I mean, maybe when you're a younger. Well, I mean, that's what women actually want, right? Every woman wants to be with Nickelback, but you can't all get Nickelback, okay? (laughs) All I'm saying is I'm still single, so Nickelback is not coming, okay? But I'm here, all right? I played bass in high school, all right? I have a tattoo, <laughs> basically anyway. a rock star. Basically, I am. I am basically a rock star, is what I'm saying. Uh, no, yeah. but um, all joking aside, yeah, that is that is definitely a, a trope of um, specifically shoujo. It happens a little bit in Jose, um, but yeah, the next is the next is a whole thing, man. Yeah. Um. Additionally, I will say the show has a banger OP, but it's also it the does. only song the band in it ever plays, so that's a little <laughs> bit of a bummer. Um, especially since it has been stuck in my head all week, to the point where Best Person Cat has it stuck in their head, and they haven't even like really listened to it live. They've just heard me singing it, so they only know... like the chorus, like the one line in English, which is like, I need your love... That is the worst way to have a song stuck in your head is to have the version of it that Best Boy Dan sings stuck in your head. The worst. Absolutely. (laughs) I will agree with that. Um, So ultimately what I will say about the show is that uh, I actually enjoy it. I think it is a pretty just real depiction of life in a big city in your early 20s uh, you know obviously there's like a bunch of like rock stars and stuff involved in it um but like that is more less important than the interpersonal stories throughout it really good characters really interesting development um the secondary and tertiary characters are really well fleshed out the thing that is interesting me the most and the reason why I can't stop watching because I have to know how it ends um, is because you and you pick it up really early on because literally every episode begins and ends the same way. And it's uh, it's Nana um, Komatsu or the kind of like bubbly, chatty, non-punk Nana um, narrating. And she is talking to the other Nana, but you get the impression that the other Nana isn't there. It's like she's like writing like in her diary to her or something. And it's in the future looking back at these events. And it's very like melancholy. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and and I wrote down one of them because they're never like really too pertinent. They're just kind of like cryptic, you know, things. But this one stuck out to me, and this one was pretty early on too. It was like after they had like one of their first fights as a roommate. Um, she said, "If I knew what your weaknesses were, would things be different now?" 
Interesting. Okay, so as somebody who has not watched this show and who knows nothing about it but what you've told me so far, do you think this is like a Jose version of Fight Club? <laughs> oh. do, you think, do you think Chatty Nana invented Punk Nana? Like like kind of how Tyler Durden is a, is a figment of his imagination? Uh, I really like that idea, and I'm going to try and look at it through that lens. Do I actually think that's the case? No, but that would make it, like... That would be I could pretty be like, fucking oh, yeah, rad, that's right? Why. Yeah, yeah. Um, ultimately, so I think it's going to go one of two routes. Uh, my guess is, I think that, like, maybe they kind of are in love with each other. Oh, so okay. it might be, oh like, I a like surprise. That, too. that It might be a surprise, like, thing. Because they say a lot of things, like, you know... Oh, but you know, you're a woman. Like, it's just, there's like, there's something there. Right. Like, it's kind of like how, like, what I'd say to my roommate, like, hey, you know, if you were a girl, I'd fuck you and marry you. Right. <laughs> you know, but, I know but, it's, your it's roommate. A, but it's okay because we're, we're, we're both dudes. So, you know, it's fine. Um, yeah, you and uh, you and best uh, best boy Jamie would make beautiful babies. We we would not, and I do not say that to Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> um, what roommate are you talking about then? Yo, wouldn't you dog? like to know? Um, no, I mean more more wait. like abstract wise, like you know the whole oh sure. they're they're just they're roommates, they're really good friends, oh, but actually I, I see know, what you're saying. Yeah. I thought you meant Jamie. No, I didn't specifically mean Jamie, but <laughs> um, no offense, best boy Jamie. Yeah. So, so my other thought is that maybe um, Punk Nana kills herself. Oh, that's less. That's less fun. Yeah. Well, they like. There's a lot of imagery of like. I I don't know how to describe them because we don't really have them so much here, but like, kind of like a waterway. Like, thing. Oh, like a canal. Sort it. It is part of the canal. It's like where like water comes into the canal from the city, but you could like walk at, walk out onto it. Mm. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I used to actually have an apartment in Japan that was right next to one. Um, yeah, their apartment is like right next to one, so there's like a lot of imagery of them like looking out over it and like people standing on it and stuff. Now that's it's interesting that you mentioned that because we didn't really talk about it too much. But suicide one of the one of the topics that is covered somewhat more with more regularity in Jose than in the other genres is suicide, right? So that is um, that is something that is a topic that is you know somewhat prevalent, not not prevalent even, but it's more common in Jose than in other. Um, Japanese media and I think the the reason for that is is kind of like suicide is looked at through different lens it, this is a whole different topic we could do a whole different episode on this but just very quickly suicide is looked at through different lenses in Japan based on gender so like I was just gonna say suicide for men, men are is are so much more susceptible right but when men when men kill themselves in japanese media and in like very like historical japanese society it is not viewed the same way as contemporary suicide is it is viewed with a, a type of honor whereas when women kill themselves it is viewed as a type of weakness or like 
uh, a death of the heart kind of deal. I'm not going to go all the way into this. We could again. <laughs> like, we could do a like whole Padme episode from. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Well, in in a Japanese version of Star Wars, Padme wouldn't just die of a broken heart. She would kill herself. But it would be viewed the same way, right? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that is a whole different tangent we could go down, but I'm not going to. Um, we'll talk about that another time. Is that all you had for Nana? Yeah, that's it. Oh, okay. All right. I yeah, I, I, so, so to, uh, to wrap Nana up, basically, I enjoy it. I am going to finish it because, like, I have to know what happens. And I'll, I'll let the best buds know my, my kind of final thoughts on it. But as of 27 episodes into it, what I will say, oh, this, this is the last big takeaway, and this is less to do with it being a Jose and more to do with it being a turn of the millennia uh, anime and story, is that it was done in 47 episodes straight to tell oh, one story. Okay. And that has more of an effect on how the story is done than anything else, in my opinion. Um, we are so geared to... 12 episode arcs for stories nowadays a 47 episode story moves very differently absolutely um and it's really interesting to watch i actually really enjoy um getting to know characters and and telling a story that could not be accomplished in 12 episodes um and and some of that requires like what by modern standards would be deemed as filler, but is not like filler in the way like we talk about Naruto. It's more like just character development, day-to-day -day life, getting to know them. It may not have a huge impact on the the overall plot, but it lets you key into a little bit more of the characters. So if you're interested in a story like that, uh, would recommend. Absolutely. Um, and as far as the story that I consumed, uh, partially, anyway, for this episode, uh, I watched Nodame Cantabile. Um, and this is a, this is a, an anime that anytime I look up anything about Jose, this name pops up. And so it's been on my radar for a while. Um, but I've never kind of taken, taken the dive to, to watch it um, until this until recording this episode kind of gave me the opportunity to do so. Um so Nodame Cantabile, uh, it is available nowhere. You cannot legally stream this in the West. I got my Be hands on it. Best boy Justin had to go to my dark alley and meet my guy. Exactly. And that's all we're going to say about it. So you can't watch it. Um, you'll just have to experience it through my retelling of it. Um, it, well, it comes to us from Studio JC staff. The director is Kenichi Kasai. Uh, and the anime ran from uh, June 2000 and uh, January 2007 until June 2007. Um, oh, so like really similar timelines. Exactly. Yeah, it's about I think the the original like the first quote unquote season is like 26 episodes. And then there's another like 12 episode um, sequel season along with, I think, maybe an OVA or two. Um, but the story goes like this. Uh, Shinichi Chiaki is a first-class musician whose dream is to play among the elites in Europe. Coming from a distinguished family, he is an infamous, uh, infamous perfectionist. Not only is he highly critical of himself, but of others as well. The only thing stopping Shinichi from leaving Europe is his fear of flying. As a result, he's grounded in Japan. 
During his fourth year at Japan's top music university, Shinichi happens to meet Megumi Noda, or as she refers to herself, Nodame. On, on the surface, she seems to be an unkempt girl with no direction in life. However, when Shinichi hears Nodame play the piano for the first time, he is in awe of the kind of music she creates. Nevertheless, Shinichi is dismayed to discover that Nodame is his neighbor, and worse, she ends up falling head over heels in love with him. Now, it's interesting that this comes up as a kind of touchstone of Jose anime, because it has so many things that are uncommon, but not unheard of in Jose, right? First of all, the main character protagonist. is, yeah, the protagonist is a man. Um, that is that caught me off guard. Now the protagonist is a man, but the story is about Nodame, right? So it is told from his point of view. So it's interesting. So the story is told from his point of view, but ultimately the main character, not the protagonist, but the main character is Nodame. It's weird. It I know saying it out loud doesn't necessarily make sense, but that is how the story is told, right? Um, it is also it's a rom like when when you hear me give you that description, you would think it's a very dramatic music story, right? It's not. It's a rom com. It's a romantic comedy, and it is very funny. Um, it has a lot of the tropes of a typical rom com of this era. One of the ones that I I recognized immediately was so anytime you watch a rom com that is set in a college or kind of in any school really that is of this time period there is a set of characters and it is similar to you know how in the sports anime uh genre you have the characters who explain what the game is and it's either like com like people who are like journalists who are writing about the sport or it is people in the stands explaining the sport to someone who is new to it um uh-huh. It has that kind of character, but it is almost always a pair of characters who are looking down from a window on like the second or third story who are watching the characters go by and they explain who the characters are as they go past. So like in the first episode, they see the main character Chiaki, right? And it's these two girls hanging out of like looking out of a window going, oh, there goes Chiaki. He's like the hot guy in school, but he uh, he has a personality problem, right? And like the, when the, <laughs> when like another character comes by, he's like a he's like the drummer. He's like he plays the timpani, but he's a very feminine character. And they go, oh, there's there's the princess of the, the percussion, and he they go <laughs> the other girl goes princess, but he's a man, and like so it is that kind of trope happens uh, very commonly in this show. They just and I have really like Stadler and Waldorf like occasionally. Exactly. In. Yes. Exactly. Um, so that is a very interesting trope from this show. But ultimately, one of the things I really like about it is that it does. It tells so a lot of times we get these shows about music and we have been so been so conditioned with anime about music to believe that they are going to be dramas that that is one of the things that I was prepared for going in was that this is going to be a very heavy drama. Right. Because you have shows like, um, oh, what is it? Um, What's the show where the the, Snow White Notes? Yeah, those Snow White Notes. You have. um. Uh, what is it? Your Lie in April. Um, oh, yeah. All of these shows about music are always heavy dramas. Carol right? but and this, Tuesday. 
Yeah, Carolyn Tuesday. Not necessarily Bochi the Rock, but like um this show is a rom com. Bochi about has transcended music. all generations. Exactly. Bochi is we all is, bow to our Bochers overlords. Exactly. Um but this show is a typical early 2000s rom-com anime that is about music and i really kind of enjoyed it uh, i didn't have too i didn't get too far into it i've only watched like the first six episodes like i said this show is available nowhere it is very difficult to get your hands on i only managed to get my hands on it a couple days ago so i only managed to get six episodes in um but I do intend to keep watching it again, like I said, because it is very funny. It is representative of Jose anime, even though it has many features that are uncommon to Jose. Um, and I think because of that, that is what makes it an interesting entry. It is definitely a Jose. I will say that for sure. It's definitely a Jose anime. Um, but the way it approaches that is very different from other shows. So don't. Don't watch it thinking that it is representative of Jose as a demographic category, but more as an interesting entry into it. Um, I I would say watch Nana as a, as a exemplary example in in my humble opinion. In Best Boy Dan's humble opinion, I would say if you really want to get like a, a representative. Jose anime, I would say watch Wodakoi. Wodakoi yeah, is... Yeah, Wodakoi is really good, too. To me, when people ask, what's what's Jose? I say Wodakoi. Um, I might now also say A Happy Marriage or Raven of the Inner Palace as examples of, like, a historical uh, or fan- fantasy-based Jose. But, yes, that that's where I would lean to. Um, would you have any interest in watching Nana? Yeah, I would someday. Like I said... My one of my one of my very good friends, uh, best girl Rebecca. She loves this show. Um, I actually told her that you were watching it for this episode, and she got very excited. Um, so I will probably watch this at some point. Um, but right now, I just don't have you the time for it. it. Yeah, when yeah. I do watch it, I will let you know. I'll give us a little update on the pod. But that about does it, I think, for Jose. We have uh, we have talked. All there is to know about Jose, you are now an expert, Best Buds. Um, so yeah, let we're us, halfway there. We're halfway <laughs> there. Yeah, we've got we've got uh, um, Shonen down. We've got Jose, and I actually, you know, speaking a little bit editorial wise, I kind of wanted to do Jose directly after Shonen, and the reason why the is because Shonen is the most popular form of anime, and Jose is by a large degree the least popular. Um, so I kind of wanted to get that contrast, uh, across, but, uh, I'm glad we covered it. Um, you know, everything there is to know the, if, if anyone tells you anything about Jose that you didn't hear in this episode, they're lying to you. They are liars and they are not it's to be a, trusted. It's a deep um, state lie. Exactly. They're trying to brainwash you. They're, they're trying Davos to make the frog, and, they're trying to make the frog straight is what they're doing. They're trying um, to make the friggin' frog straight. Um, but thank you for tuning in. Um, hit us up on Instagram at bestboys underscore pod. Send us an email at thebestboyspod at gmail.com. Let us know if there's anything you missed. Tell us what your favorite Jose anime is. Let us know whether you want us to do Seinen or um, Shoujo next. That's a good question. Um, we would love to hear from you. We want to know what you think. 
again, tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is the best way for our podcast to grow. Uh, rate and review us five stars. Absolutely annihilate that like button. Like, really give it to it, you know? Like, really oh, get yeah. in like, there. Get, get some of those hospital grippy socks and oh, just... Yeah. Go to town on that like yeah, button. Absolutely, absolutely just, you know, disrespect that like button. Um, but yeah, thanks for tuning in. Um, and we will see you again next time where we have a little fun game plan for you. Yeah. All right. Enjoy, best buds. Bye. Bye.